0: Hey, everybody, this is Mark Wills, and you're listening to Small Town Famous.
1: It was incredible. I got the feeling that you, you're going to be looking at a different area, possibly, but still staying in the general vicinity. Or how far away are you thinking about maybe getting away? Or
0: y'all—that's fluid. Yeah, that's fluid. I got yeah, that's yeah, fluid.
1: Literally. Really. So, yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is.
0: Right. Now, where were you born? I was born in the state of Ohio. Yeah. Did you grow up in Ohio? Oh no. Where'd you grow up? Mostly in Arkansas, South Arkansas. Have you been on other mission fields besides the Philippines? No, uh, no. Been there for. Well, we're in the 23rd year. Yeah. That's, since I'm only about 31 years old, that's most of my life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I just wanted to talk with you a little bit about your experiences because of what was impressed me ever, ever since the revival. Uh, some of the stories that you, were, you had were told and our podcast is about interesting people from a small town, from a small town perspective. But, you know, and we all say this all the time that you're, I mean, you're the real deal. I know tons of missionaries, but just the work that you do, the effect that you have, what, intrigued me was one of the stories that you had told and i just wanted you to see if you, you can remember was there a time that you went into to a village i believe you were preaching one night and did a group of i do not know there i guess they were muslims that they locked the door or something i remember a diesel somebody an engine and mm. they tried,
0: can you remind me what happened that night sure Ah, uh, yeah this was a long time ago we were Actually working in one of the provinces known as uh, the ARM region of western Mindanao in the Philippines. The ARM, that's an acronym, A-A-R-M, Autonomous, no, I'm sorry, A-R-M-M, Autonomous Region of Muslim Mindanao. We have six provinces on Mindanao that are part of the arm. And uh, the one where we were was the province of Maguindanao, somewhere north of Catabato City, which historically has been a very, very volatile, very dangerous area. In fact, when was that, Justin? Three days ago, about three days ago, there was a car bomb right there in Catabato City. And that's the area where we were working there in a place called Parang. Justin's with it Justin, your stepson. Yes, yep. Yes. Uh, introduce yourself Justin.
2: hey i'm justin and i'm from south africa yeah. about the accent
0: he ain't from around here <laughs> oh. but we were yeah we were in uh, the village of parang and why we had gone there was that there were filipino pastor there had cancer and was dying. And I had a feeling for him, for his family, for the little church there, because we knew that if he died, these people were going to be in great jeopardy. He was a respected man in that village. Uh, The village is predominantly Muslim. So anyway, they respected him. As long as he lived, they probably could have stayed there, but he was dying. And we had to make some decisions how to try to help those people. So while we were there, the mission was actually in an old dilapidated storefront type building. And while we were there, just about dark when we started having a Bible study, uh, we were interrupted by the door. There's only one opening, one door opening from the sidewalk into the little house, and The door was barred shut, and all of the windows were closed and barred except for one, and there was a a truck, a diesel engine truck came up there, was back down to that window, and they connected a pipe to the exhaust pipe of that truck and then stuck it inside the window and started the engine of that truck. Just about the time I read the scripture for the message I was going to preach that night, and their intention was to asphyxiate us, and it almost worked. We we suddenly found ourselves in a room full of carbon monoxide. It was so thick you couldn't see. There was a single light bulb in the room. I just had everyone drop down on the floor to get underneath the smoke as much as we could. Some of the men started trying to get out and realized that the door and the windows all had been barred and we couldn't go out. I think that their intention was to kill us inside there that night. Mm. But we prayed. prayed and i'm not sure what everybody else prayed but i know what i prayed that the engine would break down I'm a mechanic, so I know enough about engines, especially an old one, if you rev it to an RPM that's well beyond what it's supposed to be, that it will break down. And uh, I prayed, Lord, just cause this engine to crash, and it did. Boom, just like that. Immediately wow. when I prayed, I mean, it was just like, <laughs> wow, like that, and it's gone. And then the fight broke out among the people out there on the sidewalk because the owner of the truck wanted to know who was going to pay for his broken engine and this and that. Careless what happens. Uh, yeah, well, wow. we were able then, we were able in all of the him that ensued to uh, get out of there. And I and the companions who were with me literally ran to my truck, which is parked some blocks down the way. It was nighttime, so they couldn't see us. We got in my truck and we got away from there. But that was one of the times when I'm sure that there was an intention to take our lives.
1: It's fascinating what you've gone through and the stories that you tell. You among, uh, and you have a way with words. I mean, I love reading your uh, face, you're on Facebook just as Glenn Knight and do you have a do you have a, a separate page for remote island ministries
0: mm-hmm yeah
1: so now from when you were here last so many things have changed obviously it's gotten much more dangerous you were you were about to say something today because you had used the phrase that it was a uh, it's a long story and mm. and you'd started referring to those more those wealthier
0: people in the mm. villages or do you remember what you're wanting to say? You know what? I, I would like actually to yield to Justin for a minute about sure. that, because he's he's familiar with the circumstances that we've had on that particular island where we've been working, where there there is uh, what is essentially the chieftain of the island. We call him the Barangay Captain, who doesn't care for his people, and the circumstances we found there are appalling. And the ways that we had to deal with him whenever he was trying to resist us. Just, can you make a comment yeah, jump about in that? Justin. Jump in.
2: Well, basically, we had gotten to the island with intentions of putting down a water well to help the people. Um, the challenge on that island is that the water is sold to the people. They've got not deep wells, but a cistern, just goes down about 12 feet, and they collect groundwater, which is normally infected. But this is what they sell to the people on the islands there. And uh, when we got there, we start set up the equipment and he came up the woodwork and he said to us, look, guys, can't drill here. So Glenn said to him, where can we drill? And he said, oh, go and drill up there. So we moved up further and uh, eventually they you know, carried on challenging, saying, can't drill here, can't drill here. Eventually, Glenn said, he said to Glenn, who gave you permission to come and do this? And Glenn said, God gave me permission. (laughs) At that point, he couldn't say really much more and walked off. Um, But what we found, though, was that us being there and helping the people have... Empower the, the volunteers that were with us to get together and form a water committee. So mm. they did this under their own steam. They didn't say anything and they went back down to him and had a meeting with him and said, okay, this is how we're going to deal with this. We're going to manage the water that comes from the well. It's going to go to the people for free. There won't be any cost to it. They drew up a document and everything was settled. Yeah. So yes, there are lots of challenges in dealing with the political, even on the small islands and yeah. um, issues that go around there. And it's mainly about. Money, people keeping control of money mm-hmm. as with most things in the world
1: it's always been difficult. I mean you've had many stories, but when did it get this bad when when did When did bad go to worse where you're extremely concerned now- mm-hmm. Uh, what, what was the uh, tipping point?
0: I think that in uh, a year ago this month mm-hmm. in September really is the time that we became aware of the extent of danger that we are in, have been and still are. Mm-hmm. But actually looking back on it, Justin and others of us in our family and on the ship have looked back and, mm-hmm. and realized that as early as February of last year, while we were working on a remote island down south of Mindanao between actually just due east of the Sulu archipelago and between southern Mindanao and northern Indonesia right along the equator we we fell under surveillance of a particular uh, group of bandits there they are extremists and they're pirates i mean there's so many things i can say about this group of people they're criminals they're murderous but we fell under surveillance by these uh, by these people they actually approached our team working there and uh, our vessel as well, while we were down there, trying to collect information. And then that happened in February. Then we returned to our port, and in, in the early part of March, we carried on then March, April, and May. But by the end of May, we began to realize that we were under surveillance. It's an ocular surveillance because they were on the shoreline with binoculars different time different people and with long lens cameras and uh, at one time on a jet ski circling our ship and shooting video of our ship and of our family and so many different things like that were going on that actually alarmed us and alerted us to the possibility of being under surveillance and in fact we were because of that we left that port city, our home port, we left on the 4th of July last year, very early in the morning. We sailed away. And uh, since that time, of course, we've continued to keep our eyes and ears open. We've gotten reports from various agencies there within the Philippines that indicate that we were in fact targeted oh. uh, by this group. So it's been more than a year. Now that we have seen these activities, and then in the last uh, several weeks, we've seen this increasing, of course, with more dangerous circumstances, I'm not really at liberty to talk about, you know, but this is, a, I've been working there for 22 years. I have not seen the level of opposition to gospel ministry in the area. I've not seen the level of, of violence and danger to common people. You know, you you would expect these criminal elements to target the military, the police, and various others there, but they're targeting the soft targets. You know, they're going after the soft targets, people who are unarmed, unprotected, and that's where they're doing their work and we've we've fallen under that jeopardy we've had to be very very careful and still are at this mm. point you said um
1: and you call it the new somalia and um and i just was talking with my friend yesterday that actually he was state he was in mogadishu for black hawk down he was in part of that incident now of course you're that's mogadishu is on the on the coast there but i know that they were known always for piracy mm. So you you see that a lot, but so you're saying what you were telling us this morning, then that that the piracy is becoming so rampant mm-hmm. that it's actually become one of the most pirated the Philippines now. You're saying is mm-hmm. worse than Somalia.
0: That corner between Philippines, where where three nations border one another, and I'm going to yield to Justin for some comments about this mm-hmm. as well because he's just gotten some information about what's happening there. But where the three three nations Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia corner one another, to share a common border. Mm-hmm. That is the area that has become known lately as the new Somalia. And it's because of the commandeering of mm-hmm. fishing vessels, shipping vessels, and things of that nature. And just you, he was reading some things about that just yesterday.
1: But before we do that, just so I, would you explain where you live? You don't have on the ground. We live on the
0: sea, on a yeah. ship. We live yeah. on a ship. the Even, even, <laughs> this is a little bit funny, but when we came back into the States a few months ago, the, uh, the, the border control People at the airport ask us where's our home, and I said, "Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little hard to and, and because I hesitated, he looked at me and raised his eyebrows. and <laughs> Said, "We live on a ship, and we're at home wherever our ship is. And right now, it's at anchor." And I told him what place, but uh, he was really alarmed at <laughs> the kind of answer I gave.
2: Yeah, so that area that we mm-hmm. were referring to earlier, between uh, southern of Philippines and Indonesian, that it has been. Labeled, not officially, but been called by many people, the New Somalia, due to the high number of kidnappings that are happening in the area there for ransom. Most of those we assume is related to funds for fueling drug cartels, which is what happens all over the world. It got to such a point that uh, Indonesia has actually closed off their waters, to Philippine vessels entering. And this is public news. You can go and read about it on the internet. Um, So they do not Mm. allow Philippine vessels to sail into the waters. And they've gone as far as actually sinking boats Mm, that do come into the water Yes, Mm,
1: Wow. Mm -hmm.
2: And just to try and uh, cut off that. But even despite the efforts, I think it was about… Was on the fifth of July. There was three Indonesian fishermen that were captured, off for tugboats or fishing boats, and they were released uh, yesterday. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows yet whether ransom was paid or not, but we assume that it was.
1: And again, I, as you were saying, it's one of the reasons that most people don't negotiate with terrorists because it continues to fund the terrorism. Yeah, it, you, I mean, but it, it feeds do, a,
0: it feeds uh, an appetite,
1: and you're in a no win situation. So tell me, and you had mentioned, and it and it was sad, and this was, it drew a lot of emotion out of uh, me and my wife. Haley, talking about those, who they're targeting to recruit, first of all, just to establish who are the they, mm-hmm. it's the mm-hmm. NPA.
0: NPA, yeah, that's one of the insurgencies and that's there. And that stands for what? the New New People's Army. New, it tell us again
1: who they're, who they're recruiting. Mm-hmm.
0: Both of the main extremist elements in our islands over there are targeting children. They are recruiting them from 12 to 13 years of age. And you have to understand that the situation of these people is is extreme poverty. You come into a village where there is such poverty and you make some promises, you spread a little bit of money around, you can get people to do almost anything, even get parents to assign their children to you to do whatever. This is one of the, one of the things I know we're not talking about it, but. But human trafficking and sex trafficking and things like that, all of that is big, big business in those islands over there. It's appalling. The, um, how that 12 and 13 year old children, boys and girls alike are taken. They are, are handed automatic weapons and grenades and things like that. And they are actually taught to kill with those. I mean, you take a, a girl, a 13 year old girl taught to shoot either an M16 or an AK-47. Uh, that depends on which, which, uh, faction that here she has been drafted into, but will be taught to shoot that thing. And then, by the time that that child is fourteen years old, they're pushed to the front lines of the conflicts. And at that age, they're they're drugged. They're given. What we call in the Philippines, uh, shabu, which is, is, uh, crystal meth, as you would know here. They are given that and then sent into the heat of battle. And of course, you know, they, they're very courageous. They're young. They're stupid for, sure. you know, I don't, I don't, I'm fishing for a better word to use. It would be a Still little, a little bit immature. ignorance. Yeah. But they're, they're able to to be persuaded, and they go in sometimes knowing that they're probably going to get killed. But this is the thing that Justin and I were talking about yesterday, and he pointed out to me, that here is a circumstance where there is an impoverished child who is taken, drafted into that circumstance, sent into battle, but the promise is made to that child, if you die, we're going to take care of your mother. You die, we're going to take care of your father, your brothers, your sisters. So, you know, if you if you will sacrifice yourself, then it's going to be for the benefit of your family. And a child, to use your word, naive, uh, they don't think about it. They think, well, this is pretty cool because mom and dad are going to be cared for for the rest of their lives. And they'll throw themselves into that. Obviously, they're going to get killed. But the sad thing is, very often they will kill a lot of people before they go down because they're trained. And though they're not battle-hardened, they're so young, they will take chances that older people won't take. And they do it thinking, well, my family is going to benefit from my sacrifice if I do this. the problem obviously is that this is this is a horrible thing to teach a child and a a way to use a child that is extremely disgusting to us but then the promises that are made of course are just empty promises there is nothing that will be done for those families like that but a child at that age doesn't understand and if you look at if you look at the new people's army go to google google new people's army philippines Mm -hmm. you'll see pictures there of teenage girls armed to the teeth with automatic weapons and they're being used on the front lines of battle against the republic of the philippines
1: have, have uh, some of the places where they're recruiting have you are those some of the places where you've been to preach yes so mm-hmm. it's just heartbreaking mm-hmm. now how long ago and i may have been making a note and i shouldn't have done
0: that i'm sorry in church but you had said something about was that the seminary mm-hmm. our bible school our bible seminary and how long know, ago was that when that happened that's been about a 11 12 years ago but still it's it's alarming we had an infiltrator of the communist the, the new people's army is a communist insurgency is backed by China and Russia and uh, we had an infiltrator who came into our school bent on uh, radicalizing all of our students and he had his propaganda in his hands he had his ID uh, designating him as a um, as an official recruiter and an officer in the NPA he was there to destroy our seminary, told me with a plain face, I will destroy your seminary. I'm going to recruit all of your male and female students here and take them to the mountains, and they will be trained as fighters for the NPA. So that's that happened in our Bible school. But he feigned himself as a Bible school student. And as a preacher of the gospel, I've I've heard him preach before. But the reality of it was that underneath all of that disguise was a battle-hardened communist guerrilla who was there to infiltrate our seminary.
1: Well, you know, you made an interesting reference to the fact that you see how this is playing into Bible prophecy. And we see elements of things like that happening here. A lot of people, it's much easier to ignore it. There is radicalization happening here in Mm -hmm. small parts. What you'd make reference to is to me it was Ephesians 6:12. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood mm-hmm. and the devil is using these things mm-hmm. as a weapon against the gospel against trying to get people saved. and it's more than just Muslim extremists. There is a power behind this. Mm-hmm. There's a darkness behind this that people need to understand that it's we're not here being necessarily anti-muslim or whatever. that I mean, that's not even the point. The point is that it's that Satan is real. Mm-hmm. there's an element of darkness and mm-hmm. it's not only taking over the Philippines it's just it's it's sweeping the Philippines mm-hmm. look at it here in the United States as well and we've got it easy mm-hmm. so I can imagine what it would be like in a third world country mm-hmm. um, when did y'all when did y'all ride back in the states in we, we got back first week of June How Have you felt about things since you've been back which I know you keep up with what's going on over here Do you feel that there's changes that you feel things are different here now?
0: I think that in the United States as in Mexico as in the Philippines as in every place around the the world. Money is the thing that's driving so much of the evil around us. Now, I, I pay attention to American politics and society and things that are going on. But what I see is the same patterns here that we see in the Philippines that we've seen in other places around the world. Jordan can probably enlighten us a whole lot more about what you see right here in your own county in terms of, of drug trafficking that's going on. Yeah, We have seen, for example, in the Philippines, what's driving I think every criminal element in that country is the drug traffic. That's that's what's driving it. The money to be made and uh, the things that people will do whenever they're on drugs, how they can be manipulated and controlled. Now, it is the same thing here. We've seen it ramping up in our part of the world. So what about here, Jordan? Yeah, absolutely. Even in my five years of doing this, it's just I think once the avalanche starts, It it gets more intense every year. And you see all the, it's just money and drugs. I've got my own personal beliefs on where the drugs are coming from. I don't want to put on my tinfoil hat though. I just think that, uh, I just think drugs are are being poured into the country from principalities. It's just drugs and money. Yeah. And that's and God warns about that, obviously. That And that's that's exactly the truth. It's rampant. Well, the, it's yeah, the
1: love of money is a rule of all evil. And also, you know, he gives us a sound mind. And once anything we do alters that state, when it's impaired, Im- yeah. it immediately becomes a spiritual issue. Yeah. Because uh, all this, this is just a bunch of meat right here. It's yeah. mm. the spirit that runs the body. But once you alter that spirit, bad things can happen. And, like, and if you don't have that relationship lord you're going to go down a path that's there's no stopping it that's true and it's like here it's, i don't know if they have it there but the synthetic marijuana okay have, this have is what call, justin, justin is yeah yeah do you know about the synthetic marijuana the flaca? they call it what else do they call it jordan it's, um, it's called flaca, k2 i
0: mean some variables of bath salts are just kind of it's not you know synthetic marijuana but it's synthetic THC or yeah, something,
2: yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's the same thing in South Africa. South Africa's got a very long history of marijuana use and abuse and drug trafficking as well, and of all kinds, and also the crystal meth in South Africa and Cape Town is known as tuk and it uh, mm. was bought in by the Chinese to fuel the abalone illegal mining. that would use it, then they'd go and sell it off mm. for money, mm. so... Yeah. <laughs> but as far as the synthetic marijuana, I have done some research and read a bit about it, and it is very, very dangerous because of the high contents and the solvents they're using to extract it. And no. that's the problem. The guys use these, make these really concentrated, strong, using solvents. And when it's not done properly, it becomes very dangerous.
0: Yeah, it's just, um, it's meth. Um, yeah, you know, it's just pretty much
1: what it is. And you've seen the video the dude shot, and it was in New York. Uh, and he called it, it looked like, it looked like zombies. They were all on this, somebody had in the neighborhood had sold a bag, batch of flaca. Oh yeah. And, and they were laid on the ground screaming and kicking and someone was walking around foaming at the mouth. I
0: mean, it's, I mean, it's Satan. It's demons. I mean, that's, that's what it is. I think we forget
1: that we don't, it isn't flesh and blood, but, but the devil even wants us to make it, make us believe it is flesh and blood that we're fighting. Oh yeah. That it's not a spiritual battle. I want to end on, uh you know, you've given us a call to act which you gave us a great call to action this morning. You told a story. You remember the guy on the, uh, you were sailing, past, you were not supposed to stop at this island. Mm-hmm. You had no intention, mm-hmm. but there was a man mm-hmm. waving you over. You remember that? Was, oh, yeah. oh, man. Yeah. That motivated me. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you were at our church when that, do you remember, were you there when Brother Glenn did the revival? The first, no, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. got her you can you would you mind telling me yeah story? i'm glad too
0: we were we were doing some research actually surveying some areas and had sailed along a long peninsula of a particular island where we had been had been doing some work and I had targeted the far end of that peninsula and had wanted to go there. Sometimes people ask us, well, how do you, how do you find the places to go? What's the process, you know? And for lack of better answer, I just say, well, we, we pray a lot and keep our eyes open. <laughs> and that's, that's what had happened there at that time. In fact, we had sailed beyond a dangerous area, a place that it had been volatile. There had been some abductions and some murders. In fact, In that place and about 12 kilometers or so south from there, we were about to round the tip end of that peninsula. And I had the binoculars was standing on, on the port side, uh, weather decks of the ship looking along the coastline. And over there, I saw a large rock and a man with a bright blue shirt on standing on that rock. And he was waving at us and actually beckoning us to come. There. So I thought, you know, it, it struck me as kind of odd for a moment. And just as I saw that and was thinking about it, still looking at the guy, I remembered. The vision that the Apostle Paul had, and I don't think me to be weird or anything and think that I had a dream or a vision or something, but I remembered the vision of the Macedonian call that the Apostle Paul had whenever there was the man of Macedonia standing on the far shore of that Aegean Sea beckoning for them to come over and saying in the dream, come over and help us. But I, I thought about that as I was looking at this guy, And when I turned to the man at the wheel and I said, go that direction, we're going to drop anchor over there, you know, that's what we did. We had to actually turn the ship around because we'd already passed it by that time. We turned the ship around and came back to that place. I could never see the man again, never never saw the guy again. Mm -hmm. And again, don't think that this is idiotic of me or something like that, but I feel like that he was a messenger sent from God to bring us to that particular place because Thereafter, the place became a very, very fruitful area for gospel ministry. Yeah. We planted a church there. Uh, we had many, many Bible studies, uh, many vacation Bible schools in that place. That's also the place that had the name Tuba'on before, mm-hmm. which means place of drunkenness. And uh, after we had gone there and spent about 10 days teaching and preaching in that area, enough of the people had trusted the Lord. That they wanted to be baptized and start a church right there, we baptized thirty eight people right there at that wow. place, that adults, right and that started the little church and a few days later they had a they had organized themselves into a little committee, kind of like what Justin was talking about with that water committee right yeah. but this this was a a village renaming committee, <laughs> and they came to me and they said pastor we we don't like the name of our village anymore. it's not anymore the place of drunkenness." Can you rename the village for us, please? And I thought, oh man, no, I can't name your village. It's your home. But they begged me, please name our village. And I said, we'd have to pray about this and think about it. So I did, we did over the weekend. And then at the, at the close of the day on that Sunday evening, I preached to them that morning about Jesus and Martha, Mary and Lazarus and the city of Bethany. And uh, this was the family and the place that Jesus loved. So that little committee came back to me late that night and said, Pastor, we have a name for the village. I said, what? We want to name the village Bethany. They said this was not a place that Jesus loved before, but he loves this place now, and we see. So they renamed their village Bethany, and I I traced that back. That's so great. I traced it back to the guy standing on the boulder in the bright blue shirt waving at us saying, come over here. And how many people were in that village? ah oh, there's close to 700 people in that village yeah but yet you could not find a guy in a bright blue shirt no no in, that's that's true <laughs> i when i got there i purposely that day i after we dropped anchor and went ashore i purposely looked for someone wearing a bright blue shirt i never yeah. found it
1: Cause I remember when we were walking out when after you had preached that night and walked out, cause I asked you if you thought it was an angel. Because I look, nobody's going to think you're weird. And if they think you're weird, they got to, here's the deal. We believe in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. If you believe the Bible, but you can't imagine an angel, mm-hmm. then there's a problem. Mm-hmm. So no one would think you were strange. I full heartedly. Believe that there are angels here today. That's really, I fully believe that there's fallen angels here today. Yeah, uh, and I believe that that they are actually gaining more power mm-hmm. over, and I believe that they're assigned over regions. I believe that's why mm-hmm. that Daniel had that that Michael had to fight against the Prince of Persia. Mm-hmm. No man, that's the, when you were talking. I remember telling Leslie about some angel. Yeah. Kind of yes, I
0: wonder if I've never He was a stories. messenger from God. Nothing still. An angel Angelos, Angelos messenger. <laughs> that's exactly
1: right. So regardless, he was a messenger. Brother Glenn, I appreciate you spending time um because I know you're extremely busy.
0: Is there any final word that you'd like to like to leave us with? Jeremiah thirty three, three. Call ye unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Awesome.
1: Brother Glenn, I appreciate
0: you, brother. Thank you. Yes, sir. One
1: last thing. What is your biggest need right now?
0: Prayers. We need prayers of God's people. We need wisdom, and we need courage.
1: Well, we're going to start praying for your direction. Uh, this afternoon, we got home. We prayed for you all to make a decision where you're going to go, for, and we prayed for you, Justin, to help him in guiding him where you all need to go. The Lord's got a place for you. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a big boat. It'll go it a lot of places. <laughs> Where can she sail, Justin?
2: Anywhere in the world. There you Come go. Man, that's <laughs> awesome.
1: Well, uh, I really do appreciate it. Now uh, I'm gonna give you a few minutes because Leslie brought you—they well, brought you a piece of pie. You need to finish that before you head down there. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to your next stop. Say something cool. And uh, <laughs> oh what do you? You speak English, obviously, <laughs> but y'all, y'all speak—they speak, speak Africa Is it? Af-
2: May Twitter the us off the guns. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Gonna like, yeah. yeah. That's, exactly, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got anything you want to say, brother? Uh, all good, eh? Hey? Well, God bless the people, man. Nah, man. Thank you. You're on Facebook? Always, we're gonna be buddies. I'm gonna send you a friend request, and I just want people to 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 reach out and help. We're gonna pray for you. I know this morning you had said that some Bibles Mm -hmm. that that was a great need. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I'll do, um, if someone does want to help with that, where's the best place to to, if they need to financially support that, or Mm
0: -hmm. what, or want to send
1: something, what do we do?
0: Well, the well our sending church, our sponsoring church, is Victory Baptist Church, Sherwood, Arkansas, (laughs) and that address is ten thousand. Brockington Street, Sherwood, Arkansas, seven two one two zero. Okay, and that that would route it to us.
1: So if anyone's out there and they want to help, I, I, you know, just feel free to do so. And we talk about you all the time. Uh, and and again, I know and you're a very humble man, and I love you so much because again, you just when I think of missionary, I see your picture. Real deal. You are the real deal. And and thank you for spending time with us. We enjoyed it. Thank you, Alan.